Welcome to Frankly Speaking. This is a new podcast on responsible business by Frank Bold, the European public interest law firm. And I'm Richard Howitt. And after several years of debating these issues inside the European Parliament, I'm hosting our discussions of the latest political, legal and business developments in the field of corporate sustainability, business and human rights. Today, Frankly Speaking welcomes Rael Demam, ESG and Sustainability Reporting Leader at Decathlon, and we'll be talking sports goods, supply chains and sustainability standards. Decathlon is one of the world's largest sports goods retailers, with over 2,000 stores in 60 countries. Rael Demam is not simply a sustainability leader at Decathlon, but is on the board of the Observatory for Corporate Social Responsibility in France, and also a member of the Sustainability Committee of the World Federation of the Sporting Goods Industry. Rael drives Decathlon's sustainability strategy and reporting, and after she experienced COVID herself, was personally driven to co-found the Association for Long COVID Patients in France. Rael, welcome. Much to talk about, but can I ask you first about how you became involved in sustainability issues originally in your life? Firstly, good morning, Richard, and I feel really delighted to be able to share my point of view, especially because we are quite newbies in this matter. So let me explain how I arrived in working on sustainability topics. Um, I'm an industrial engineer specialized in environments, um, and I've been graduated in 1997 at a time during which it was not as, let's say, a hot topic like today. So I had difficulties to find a job in my, let's say, uh, field. So I started at Decathlon as industrial purchaser, industrial buyer, buying large volume of tennis shoes, running shoes at a really competitive price in Southeast Asia. And ethical question and working condition was really one of my concern at a time when it was not at all structured at Decathlon. So I started being social compliance manager in 2006 when Decathlon decided to have one woman, me, dedicated full-time on those issues, let's say. And after that, as I was environmental engineer, I've decided that I had to push Decathlon um, on environmental responsibility. So I started uh, gathering pioneers, people in the company were like really involved on environmental topics. And I've started different projects that are today strategies at Decathlon, but let's speak about eco-design, about GSG assessment, about supplier environmental management, but also creating the networks because we did not have any resource on environment. So I had to work with internal network people who wanted to dedicate 20%, 30% of their time working with me and supporting me. And this is how I arrived finally on environment. Did the company need persuading by you to take this new direction or have they been persuaded and you were just the right person at the right time? On the uh, social compliance and ethical part, it was already in, let's say, in the roots of the company because in our four values, we have responsibility. So they did not need me to be 
pushed. But on environmental aspects, it's true that it came from the bottom of the company, from pioneers, from different people who wanted to uh, put environmental, let's say, matters at the highest level of the company and in the DNA of the company. So in 2007, 2008, uh, up to 2015, we pushed so much to, to management, but it was really interesting because there was uh, in 2015 we we co-write uh, we co-wrote sorry the vision of the company and 30,000 teammates decided to put environment in the five pillars. So at that time, the let's say the top management decided to put sustainability and let's say including environmental topics because it was quite siloed before it was really HR, social compliance environment. But starting 2015, we decided to have something more integrated and really environment was put at the highest level of the priorities. It's great, great um, example that because many people say that companies have to be pressed from the outside to do things. But there you had you as a sort of internal champion, but also a large swathe of your workforce uh, voting saying, well, what's the strategy of the company and themselves saying it should be environment. It's a, it, it's a fantastic example. Now let's, let's roll forward all these years later. And we're in the year of the European Union corporate sustainability reporting directive. Uh, you're, you're based in France here. The, the company's headquartered in France, which was the earliest European country to pass any legislation about sustainability reporting, the new Regulations Act of 2001. So you've lived in a, a legislative framework for a long time in, in your business, but you've also seen it as a positive thing. Your, your chief executive said that he wanted the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive from you. What, why is it? Why do you see the benefits in the legislation and what what would you say to other companies about that? Um, firstly, uh, this is a really good point. L firstly, let's look back a little bit with the story of reporting, sustainability reporting at Decathlon. As you said, France is one of the main countries which has set up a legis legislation framework starting in 2001 for listed companies. But finally, it has been extended to non-listed companies like Decathlon starting exercise fiscal year 2013. So finally, we have been producing reports only for nine years, which is, let's say, quite not a lot of experience, but it has been a really positive uh, project for Decathlon because before um, we were not as organized, formal. Um, we had not at this level of formalization and accountability that we have now. I've been uh, working a lot with our internal teams to formalize the way we are working, um, our strategies, our KPIs, the reliability of our process. So it has been really something which was uh, with great benefits for our company in terms of efficiency. Um, it's not legislation for legislation. I've not done this project just to be compliant. It's a fantastic tool to, let's say, reporting questions the actions. So at the beginning, we had 43 items to report on when we started. It was only that. No question on the, let's say, reliability of information. It was only answering. And finally, I, I remember 
So this was the first exercise. I was asked to report on noise disturbance and I was running everywhere in the company trying to find out I could find an example to say I'm compliant. This at the beginning was more a thick the box exercise because I did not catch how important is materiality and to decide and analyze what matters for the company. So in 2018, when we started to be um, uh, subjected to the NFRD, I think we increase our level of um, understanding on which topics were material for Decathlon because we were obliged to work really much more in detail on materiality assessment. And this was really interesting for Decathlon because questioning, uh, reporting push us to question ourselves on a lot of things, not only doing action, but making choices what choices, why we're making them, benchmarking, comparing with others. And as I say to you, I'm not trying to compare myself only with non-listed companies. I have to compare myself with all the best practices from the listed companies and all the uh, big uh, companies everywhere. That point about you being an unlisted company, there, there were specific elements of the legislation in France, of course, but there'll be many uh, people from businesses that are unlisted or smaller businesses uh, that are perhaps not covered by the scope of the new regulation in Europe or feel that they don't have to address sustainability reporting, it's for others to worry about. Why would you say as an unlisted company that it was still to your benefit to do that? The fact that we started reporting has pushed us to organise, formalise, question ourselves. And this is really... Um, relevant for companies like Decathlon, but even for small ones. The question is starting, not trying to be perfect at the beginning. If you look at my report in 2000, let's say 13 and the last one, we can see that every year we're, we're trying to integrate quick wins. We know that we still have rooms for improvements. It, it's more a journey. I don't see reporting as like a purpose for the year. It's like how I am embarking the maximum of teammates, making this project useful for the company, for the decision making. And at the moment, my priority is to put this project in the end of the top management because, of course, it can be useful for our stakeholders, for internal teammates, for recruitment. But we are supposed to take decisions based on those reports. And, and you and I are both in the report, so-called reporting bubble, and sometimes people think reporting is an end in itself, and that was a classic argument for the case that reporting leads to action. <clears throat> I couldn't agree, couldn't agree with you more. Now, in, in your page stance, you also talked about the importance of materiality, companies deciding what should and shouldn't go in the report. Uh, and you made a major change in 2021 in your materiality assessment. It's much more data driven now than before. Tell us, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, really important to speak about materiality, as I told you, and you can see how non-experience I was when I started because I wanted to embrace all the topic at the same, let's say, level. So um, we have done the first materiality based on ISO 26000. This one was really interesting at the beginning because it has helped us to, to understand how wide the topics about sustainability are because we had like a really siloed vision of uh, sustainability and not linking all the topics in itself. So first, 
materiality was based on ISO 26000. And after that, we have, let's say, tried to do something more international by integrating suppliers, by integrating customers from different countries. But the problem with the manual process, it was we were spending one year doing the materiality assessment, then one year to define the trajectories, the targets, updating the policies. And at the end, when I was publishing the, the policy, in my NFRD reports, we were missing relevant elements like biodiversity. So I tried to look how our technology could help me to have a more dynamic vision of what was going on externally. We're living in a VUCA world. We have to catch what is important for different kinds of um, stakeholders. And that's why I was really happy to um, implement this uh, tool based on uh, intelligence artificial because it helped us to go more faster in updating our materiality assessment. Of course, we are going to continue to update this materiality assessment by continue, continuing to dialogue with stakeholders. And we still have to improve also the financial aspects in the year to come. As we're talking materiality, uh, um, we all know there's this hot debate going on between the global sustainability reporting standards of the International Sustainability Standards Board, who believe in single materiality, that sustainability matters, but it's on the value creation, the financial impact on the company that needs to be assessed and reported. Whereas the European Union's directive and its sustainability standards has what they call double materiality. So yes, that financial and valuation impact on the company, but also the measuring and reporting on the impact, the material impact on people and on, on planet. What are your own views about single materiality versus double materiality? I don't understand all the debates that we have at the moment because we are losing precious time working on double materiality. <laughs> How can in 2022 we continue to have this conversation to say, let's continue to do business as usual, as usual only focusing on what matters in a financial point of view? Uh, we have learned so much. We know that all the signals of our beloved Earth are at the highest red levels. We miss some precious time. We know that the window to act is really short. And for me, it's so, um, I'm really sorry, outdated to only focus on financial, you know, materiality. So I don't want to go in that way. And I'm really happy and proud as a French and European company that EFRAG is supporting such um, a principle because we have to be uh, uh, really uh, to position Europe as a front runner on those topics and not to continue like we were doing with the same, let's say, sol the same uh, wrong solution that were applied in the past. Uh, pretty clear answer. At EFRAC, of course, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, the body that's bringing forward the European standards based on double materiality. Now, uh, another element of the, the European Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive for science-based targets and companies being asked to, to report on science-based targets. Uh, you as a company, Decathlon, have embraced science-based targets already, and yet you've got all of these um, uh, 2,000 retail outlets worldwide. You're sourcing from companies worldwide. You've got a huge supply chain. 
Um, and you've got 100,000 different staff, many of whom are in uh, middle-income and, and developing countries, as well as the, the developed world. And I think a lot of people in businesses are thinking, can we do science-based targets with confidence, with, uh, with preciseness and accuracy? How can how are you confident that you've been able to to address science based targets? I would say it's a learning curve, and this is what I really appreciated. <laughs> um, just to let you know, I was in charge of stakeholder engagement for many years. Uh, now I dedicated only to sustainability reporting, but I was the one who introduced science based target to Decathlon, and I think it's really important because um, we need um, scientific rigorous methodologies which are totally, uh, let's say, recognized by the many. And we have started doing our DHG first assessment in 2017. It was, let's say, not as accurate as it is now, okay, but it helped us to say two-thirds of the impact is linked to the product. And to put us in 2007 in movement to decide to do eco-design of component and product. Time after time, we decided to, you know, to go much more deeper in our GHG assessments, but to confront ourselves with external, let's say, uh, experts from science-based target initiative who have reconsidered if our targets were enough ambitious according to the Paris Agreement was really, let's say, a lesson for us because for the first submission, they have approved only one part of our targets. So we were okay, <laughs> we have to reconsider our ambition is not sufficient on the scope three. And it has, of course, it, it's um, resource consuming. We need to ask ourselves a lot of questions about how we can raise a bar, but it's also a way for us to decide that we have decided to go faster on the new business model like renting, second hand repair. And if we have not at that time um, let's say, discuss with science-based targets to be sure that we were aligned with the Paris Agreement. Perhaps we will have targets, but not as, let's say, ambitious like we need to have. So I will encourage, of course, everyone to try to go on that way. It's a learning curve. It's not uh, totally achieved. We have to accelerate to be able to reach our um, targets. But it's really important to put our energy internally on a common target. And at the moment, it's really the top management who are embracing uh, the science-based target um, uh, in itself. I think the audience will want me to delve a bit deeper on your sector. Uh, we all know that textile clothing, in, in your case, sports goods, has for many years been under scrutiny over supply chains, over as you've already talked about in Southeast Asia and elsewhere, conditions in factories and the great scandals around Nike, for example, 20 and 30 years ago. So tell us a bit more when you're working with uh, your fellow companies in the, the Sports Good World Federation, what are, the, what are the current, what are the future issues that you need to tackle and that you're trying to tackle? Um, this is a good question. And first of all, um, I want to say that a little bit like NFRD arrived at Decathlon, we had also to um, answer to the due diligence plan in France. And I know that at that time, there were some fears from different companies saying, okay, what are you asking? 
But finally, it has helped us a little bit like NFRD to structure our approach about human rights and environmental, let's say, risk-based approach and so on. So um, due diligence in itself, it's a, a topic because at the moment we see some legislation popping in different countries and we really expect to have a European level playing field because it's difficult for a company like ours to answer to different legislation, national ones. We prefer to have something at the European level. So we have expectation for the CSDD and we are expecting compatibility, consistency between our two legislations, two pieces of CSRD and CSDD. It's really important to help us on in that way, not to have layers of lasagna and different requirements. And something really important is we expect also the CSDD to be in between the French holistic approach, quite large, and the really uh, German law, which is really much more into detail and accurate. So something in between will be interesting for us. Well, I, I know you that you oversee directly, not just the French report, but the Italian report. So well done for getting that reference into Lasagna. That was a, that was a <laughs> highlight of this, this podcast. Uh, and of course, go on. Yes, please. More Italian yeah. cooking tips, please. No, you... I'm afraid time is running against us. So I've got a, to a final question, but it, it comes back to what I said about your own experience of getting long COVID and, and banding together and doing something about it with other patients in France. Congratulations, by the, by the way, for that. But, but uh, I think you've actually achieved getting national health guidelines for dealing with long COVID patients that local doctors and local practices have to follow. So a huge achievement. Well done for that. But there are, there are many people in the sustainability world who say that COVID has changed sustainability. It's, it's, it's not just all carbon and climate anymore. And that it's taken forward our thinking in terms of how we do sustainability in business. So given your very personal experience of that, um, how has that experience changed your mind and enabled you to learn about what sustainability means? In fact, perhaps even I knew, of course, the SDGs, I was not linking what I'm doing every day with health topics. And one, thank you for talking about what happened to me two years ago. Um, I realized that finally what I'm learning at Decathlon and the way I'm connecting topics, you know, stakes in matter of sustainability, I could do the same. Long COVID, you will have like problems, vascular problem, you will have like cardio, um, earth problems, lung problems. And the problem is that um, health system is really siloed. So we can solve long COVID also if we start integrating um, a more holistic approach and connecting, you know, different speciality from one organ to another, Ex exactly like we are doing in the company. When I'm working on extra financial risk, I have to gather different reference of risk from the company, from different activities. So finally, um, I will say the experience and the project management, working with different stakeholders, um, the thing that I was doing at Decathlon helped me a lot to apply this on my personal case and on the, finally on a new condition. Well, um, always when I talk to you, 
you inspire and motivate me and you have done in this uh, um, discussion today. I can't thank you enough for your contribution. And I think that last example shows how authentic you uh, you are, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, <laughs> and I, I know and uh, many other people listening for, who are responsible for sustainability in business will uh, have learned from and uh, inspired themselves by what you've said today. Thank you so much. We've come, I'm afraid, to the end of our podcast. Um, we would like to invite all our audience to send us your feedback, send it to frankly speaking at frankbold.org and to share uh, this conversation. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking, the Frank Pole podcast on responsible business. Watch out for our next episode and find out more about Frank Pole's responsible companies section on Twitter and LinkedIn. See you next time. Thank you again, Rail, and goodbye.